The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Welcome, everyone, to today's episode of Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. I'm Sally Ganga, and I'm filling in for Beth Heaton, the regular host. Fall is here, and early application deadlines are approaching, uh, so it's time to tie up loose ends and finalize those applications. Um, but it's a kind of interesting, actually. I have some students who have some early applications, and their essays are done, but they keep fiddling with them. And I finally had to say to one of them, you know, you'll never get in if you don't submit the application. Submitting the application is a necessary part of this. So at a certain point, you do have to say, it's done, and now I will submit. So just remember that, too. Um, all right, on to today. For our third and final segment, I'll be talking with Kathy Ruby, a former senior financial aid officer at St. Olaf College in Minnesota and Shippensburg University in Pennsylvania. She's also, luckily for us, a current college finance consultant here at College Coach. She'll be answering all the questions you have about the danger of missing a financial aid or scholarship deadline. But first, we'll have our schools in session. I'll be joined by Kara Courtois, a former admissions officer at Barnard College. Um, initially, she and I will be discussing how and when to submit standardized test scores, such as the SAT or ACT, to the colleges. Then we'll review the University of Michigan supplemental application questions, and hopefully, if we have time, the University of Wisconsin supplemental questions. So we have a very ambitious agenda today. Welcome, Kara. Thanks, Sally. How are you today? I'm doing great, thanks. How are you doing? I'm well, thanks. Okay, good. All right, so Kara, I've been working in college admissions or on the counseling side since 1992, so I'm just outing how old I am. Um, and, <laughs> and I'm yet hanging I, with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yet I still find that some of the details about submitting SAT and ACT scores can be confusing. But mm-hmm. a lot of the information is actually really easy, so hopefully we can go over that and calm some of those fears today. Um, so let's start with... What is the easiest and fastest way to make sure that the scores get to the college? What? How do you advise your students? Uh, well, I think the most important thing that I always remind them of, and I feel like I say it literally in every conversation I have with any student who is a junior or a senior, so even if they're not, even applying this year, I always put in a, a nudge or a shout out for the fact that a college will not read your application if they require test scores unless they get an official score report. So, um, you know, I think what's always a little bit, I, I'm always shocked when a student will still say, oh, but I thought if I just put them on the application that that was enough. You know, that was considered official because it was on the application and not, um, you know, realizing that they have to 
pay for score reports. So that's the most important thing that I like to emphasize to students in the process is, you know, making sure that um, hopefully before your applications go out, as soon as you're ready and your scores are finalized, that you get on to either the College Board website or ACT.org and choose your official score reports to be sent out. So that is, you know, the official way to do it. You know, overall, do I encourage students to do it before they send their applications? Absolutely, if that is possible, meaning that they're done with their tests at that point. And anytime before, you know, perhaps they even finish the test in their junior year, it would be great, you know, to send them to the colleges as soon as they know where they're applying. That is one of the best ways to make sure they get there on time. Yeah, especially, definitely, any student who I think finished their last test in June of their junior year or before then, do not wait. Just send the darn scores. I don't know why they sit around and wait. (laughs) As soon as as you know the colleges, please send your scores. Yep. Okay. And then um, are there other methods of sending scores? I mean, you know, so you can can go ahead and... um, you know, send them as soon as you get the scores back. Um, but there's also a free score report, for example. Mm-hmm. So how do students access, like, let's say there's some of the low-income students um, where sending scores really can be a hardship. I think, you know, letting them know about the free option for sending scores is a great idea. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, um, you know, pretty evident when they're registering that that's something they can take advantage of. And I don't find students mention it so much, but if I inquire and say, you know, did you already happen to send scores yet um, to any of your schools? Many of them will say, oh, yeah, yeah, when I registered, I actually chose, you know, a couple of schools that I knew I was going to apply to. And typically they'll also say, and I knew that, you know, they should be a little bit safer schools, so I'm not really worried that I hadn't, you know, maybe seen the scores before I sent them. Um, And I think, oh, that's good wisdom, you know, um, that maybe I think one of the holdbacks that many students find when they're deciding whether to take advantage of those four free score reports when they register is that they're, you know, they haven't seen their scores yet, so they're a little hesitant to take advantage of it, but yeah. Yeah, I have a um, I have a few students. I have a number of students who are done with their testing, and so I told them to just send it. But I have a few students who are really, really holding out hope for some October scores, and so with them, they're waiting to find out, you know, what what kind of a score they're going to get before they send mm-hmm. out those tests. Yeah. So which which is going to press it pretty cl- pretty close. Um, but the fact is that that typically works out. I mean, the college board says two weeks, but I've actually knock on wood or knock on laminate because that's my desk is laminate. <laughs> um, I've never actually had the scores not make it to the college on time for early action or early decision. Mm-hmm. Agree. Yeah. 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 When I'm, well, I'm nervous if a student is, is going to apply to say like a University of Wisconsin as an example because I know that they really like things by that early action November 1 deadline. So sometimes mm-hmm. when it's a large state university, if they've already got a score that they're proud of, um, then I say, you know, send that one in as a holding, you know, pattern. And then you can always update and email, you know, the admissions office when you get that new score. And if it's higher, you know, get out the trumpets, you know, sound an alarm and send, you know, a notice to admissions, um, you know, with a snapshot of that picture, of your initial scores and send the official following immediately and 
you know, I always trust that it gets in there mm-hmm. on time for review. So I want to go back to something you suggested. So you're suggesting that students um, like take a screenshot of their test scores and email it to the admission counselor or something like that as only one option if, of getting them in quickly? Yeah, only if, say, they took the October exam and it, the score comes, you know, at the end of October and they were submitting for a November 1 deadline and they just were nervous whether it would make it in time um, or they took a November And most colleges, you know, when you look on there, I always encourage students if they're worried, you know, I took a November kind of last minute, let me just see if I can get something higher. Will those scores count for an early action or early decision? And I always say you have to check that college's website just to make sure what their policy is. I've seen it, I've seen actually, I can't even think of a school that won't accept a November score, but it is cutting it close. So I never encourage, you know, holding out for a November but just mm-hmm. double-checking their website to see if they will take it. And so in that instance, they get their score and they're sending it out. I'd say, yes, definitely take a snapshot of the scores and email it with a nice note to admission saying, you know, I've submitted for early action or early decision. These are my November scores and official score reports on its way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the official line is that it takes two weeks to get there, but I think there are ways around that. So one of the things I wanted to mention, by the way, is that I've heard from a number of college that expediting the scores doesn't actually make it faster. It just tends to, it it really, for whatever reason, doesn't make it go any faster. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it costs a lot more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot more. So, all right. So just the last question on this particular topic, um, what is score choice? I mean, we've obviously been talking about, you know, there's some situations where we're, you know, obviously students are picking and choosing their scores, uh, which, so that's score choice. You know, they, they can pick and choose which scores they need to send, but obviously not all colleges allow that. Um, I mean, you know, so what are kind of the pros and cons of score choice as you see it? Yeah, I mean, I think I think first I start with the ACT because I always say uh, the ACT has always been score choice because you get an individual test report, meaning that if you took a September ACT and an October ACT and go to send your scores online, it, you you have to pay for each individual report and they show up separately. So um, so it's always been that way that way. And score choice was created. I always say it's a business at the end of the day, this whole test prep, um, standardized testing and SAT is often, it seems, trying to match up with ACT, which I remember reading last year, ended up having more students take the ACT for the first time ever, I think was last year, two years ago. So they're, you know, making changes to try and keep up um, with their competitor. And score choice allows a similar uh, possibility if a college says, yeah, that's fine. Send us whatever you would like. Um, you can send an individual date. The key thing is um, what I often encourage students is, you know, if you have, as often as the case, if you have a higher critical reading score on an October test and say a higher math score on November, well, you need to send both sets of scores no matter what. And the colleges will do what they've always done, you know, which is really score choice it for you. Take out the highest critical reading, take out the highest math, and put that in with your application. But there are times where a student, you know, maybe didn't study the first time and then they studied the second time for an exam and the second score hopefully, you know, is much higher. And they really don't want that first set 
to be seen. And for colleges that say, yeah, we honor score choice, it's fine, then a student could choose, say, to send just that second sitting on the College Board website. It's pretty self-explanatory. In fact, when you go on and log on to a College Board to send your um, SAT scores, they actually, the, co- the computer does the work for you and it says, hey, we suggest sending these scores. Um, so it's actually pretty self-explanatory. Okay, good. That really helps. But in general, what I want to leave people with, because I want to move on to the break and move on to University of Michigan supplemental questions now. Um, I generally tell students, if you're in doubt at all, send all of them because yeah. colleges are not asking you to submit all your scores so they can be mean and take your lowest score. Um, it's in their interest to take your highest score. They get to yeah. list a higher score on U.S. News and World Report and all those rankings. <laughs> so, you know, they they will make the decision about which scores are going to make you look the best. And we can really promise you that. So unless you've really tanked on one of them, you know, I'd say err on the side of sending all of them unless one of them is considerably worse. And that's probably going to be your best rule to stick with if you're confused about what to do. I totally and completely agree. Okay. All right, great. Well, we're going to take a short break, but when we return, Kara and I will talk about the University of Michigan and University of Wisconsin supplemental application questions. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters the one in the envelope that says yes visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast all the time the number one internet talk station where your opinion counts voiceamerica.com are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. As I mentioned before our break, we're back to continue talking to, to talk about the University of Michigan and hopefully Wisconsin supplemental questions. All right, Kara. So let's just let's dive straight into University of Michigan. Um, question number one. This is a pretty common one that we see a lot uh, at, from different colleges. 
And it says, if you could only do one of the activities you have listed in the activity section of your common application, which one would you keep doing and why? And this one is required of all applicants. And it says approximately 100 words. So this is a short, short essay. Yeah. And I mean, for that one, I just say the students be genuine. I've always, I think the key thing, and we'll probably repeat it again, is that on an application where there's multiple um, questions to answer on the supplement or an option or the, that's required that you're looking to not overlap with something that you've already said. So if your main common app essay happened to be about, um, you know, tennis <laughs> being your favorite activity, which probably, you know, could happen. I don't, we don't often see great essays about tennis, but, um, then you don't want to make your short answer activity statement about the same, um, you know, the same topic overall. So looking to differentiate, but it's short and sweet, you know, so I don't really think there's a right or wrong necessarily, but even in such a short response, trying to show how you, how you think and what your personality is like is what I would recommend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and if you're writing about an activity like tennis, everybody knows what tennis is, so you don't need to describe the activity. So you can just talk about what you enjoy about it. So also kind of think about what is this activity? Is this an opportunity for me to explain to the reader what an activity is that's unusual? Um, mm-hmm. Or should you, you know, or is it so common? Everybody knows what Model UN is, so write about what matters about Model UN to you. So, right. Yeah, uh, yeah. I guess the focus. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I guess the one last thing that I would say about it, too, is I had a student this year who didn't want to write about her favorite activity because the college she was applying to didn't have that exact activity. Mm-hmm. And I said, mm-hmm. "That's don't worry about it. It's totally yeah. fine because you can start it as a club. I mean, and they'll probably have some sort of activity that somewhat mimics it. So, yep, absolutely. Great point. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's move on to the next one. Um, everyone belongs to many different communities and or groups defined by, among other things, shared geography, religion, ethnicity, income, cuisine, interest, race, ideology, or intellectual heritage. Choose one of the communities to which you belong and describe that community and your place within it. And this is another one that's required for all applicants, and it's approximately 250 words. Yeah. I actually like what I often get to read from students about this essay um, if they get a little bit of thought. And that's what I think is my first, you know, suggestion for students is sometimes not to have just a knee-jerk, oh, I would automatically write about, you know, my um, community service project that I've worked on hard for all four years and consistently. Um, Because, again, that might be something that the readers can pick up on from other parts of their application, even just that simple activity section that only allows 150 characters, but to really dive, to allow something that you can get a little bit deeper and provide a little bit more um, thought that will, will suggest to Michigan what you're going to add to their campus and something, you know, I don't like to use the word unique, but, um, you know, even if it's a, a community that seems, you know, rather commonplace, um, you know, a religious group, for instance, that, you know, the students have worked with quite a bit or just really feel a part of it, that, you know, their take on it is different. So I really, I look forward to 
reading those responses, actually, and I've read a lot of them over time, so it's surprising to hear me say that <laughs> on some level, but um, it's kind of fun to see the, the ideas that students come up with with that response. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think, um, I mean, first of all, I agree. I, I think people shouldn't be, like I had one student who was, um, she was born here, but her parents were born in China. And so she calls herself an American-born Chinese. And, um, but she was concerned that her essay wouldn't be original enough because there's a lot of people mm-hmm. of Chinese descent in the U.S. Many of them are applying to University of Michigan. And, um, you know, I told her not to be concerned because it's not, I mean, yes, she belongs to a larger group, but, you know, they're asking what is her place within that community as well. And so that's where her unique spin on this is going to come. And I'm with you. I've read a lot of these essays and they're all, um, they're pretty much all interesting. It's pretty remarkable. Mm -hmm. I've read a lot of terrible essays in my 20 plus years. And these tend to be, as long as the student tries to write about it sincerely and thoughtfully, they tend to be Mm -hmm. good. Yeah, agreed. I think you captured the key part, which is usually the first draft of what I've seen gets missed is the last part of the question that says, you know, not just telling us the community, but what's your place within it? Um, mm-hmm. And that's that's the fun part. So I think the first draft for many students ends up, you know, maybe just grabbing on to the beginning part of that question and then leaving out the important part of your place within it. Again, sort of suggest, you know, an opportunity to show how you think, but also, you know, what are you bringing to the table? Mm-hmm. So it's, I think the struggle with this question, the only thing I find sometimes students struggle with throughout the whole application process of this question in particular is, you know, worrying, as you said, um, I was, you know, worrying that they're going to sound like everybody else, but more importantly, worrying so much, what are, you know, what are the admissions counselors going to think? And, just it's a just a common thing that you know students will hear from us all the time and the admissions counselors don't write for us don't write for the admissions counselors write you know what is genuine to you and then just try not to keep repeating yourself in the application mm-hmm Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, sometimes students will write their main common application essay about their about a community they belong to. And then obviously you don't want to duplicate that. So mm-hmm. um, and I want to say, too, that people I mean, they really are giving you a broad list of um, of groups. You know, I mean, it's mm-hmm. it could be, you know, I mean, they're talking it could be an interest. It could be intellectual mm-hmm. heritage. So I've had a student who wrote, I think, an effective essay about being a musician and the way in which that made her part of a community and how she mm-hmm. contributed to that community. And I thought it worked very well. Mm-hmm. I had one student, I remember, um, last year write about a uh, you know, community of uh, readers. And uh, I thought, yeah, at first I was like, well, everybody probably should be that if they're applying there <laughs> you know, on some level. And, but then, of course, it's what she did with it. And it was lovely. And it was really, you know, you got a sense of just her passion for reading and writing as as a result. But it was great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good, good. So there's a lot of ways to answer this question and a lot of, I should say, not just a lot of ways to answer, a lot of good ways to answer. So mm-hmm. don't stress, just be sincere. That's kind of the summary there, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so let's move on to the next one. And this is a, a longer essay. Uh, describe the unique qualities that attract you to the specific undergraduate college or school 
including preferred admission and dual degree programs to which you are applying at the University of Michigan. How would that curriculum support your interests? Um, this is required of all applicants as well. It's a 500 word maximum. Now with this one, I always want to emphasize to students that they're asking at the end, how would that curriculum support your interest? So they're not asking about what do you think about the football team or something like that? I mean, because I see essays about that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like they're really, this is very specifically about academics and why you want to go there academically speaking. Yeah, mm-hmm. I have similar to Duke's response and, you know, similar questions that get um, misread or misinterpreted, rather, but um, absolutely, it's a, it's a great time. One of my favorite parts of this question, similar to other schools like Cornell that ask a question that's worded in the same way, where you have a university with colleges within, you know, that it really is the point where I like when a student We'll write it and then step back and say, yep, that's definitely the program I want. I really am in love with what they offer. And they really, you know, unpacked that question and figured out why that school, you know, why they were originally attracted to that school, but even more so why they want it for academic reasons. So there is Mm -hmm. a, I always say, oh, yeah, there is a reason that they answer these supplemental questions. But I love getting to see that light bulb go off. Mm-hmm. And how they start, I mean, they really need to dig into the website. And I tell students yes. they should, one of the things I like about this question is that students should be digging in to the curriculum on the website anyway. They should be doing that before they apply to a school instead of just saying, oh, someone told me, you know, the political science there is great. Like, okay, now read about political science, read about public policy offerings, read about you know, the political science department, is there interesting research being done by faculty there? Do you think you might want to do something interdisciplinary that includes economics? You know, it's all on the website. Go to the website, do a deep dive and, you know, tell them what about the curriculum exactly is going to support their interests. What do they think they might want to take? What do they think Mm -hmm. they might want to do when they're there? What are some of the co-curricular activities that they see that look interesting um, I think it's okay. I don't know. Tell me what you think about this. I actually think it's okay if students talk about co-curricular, um, you know, activities like speakers who come or something like that, um, just as long as they don't go into extracurriculars that have nothing to do with their major. What do you think right. about that? Completely. Yep. I mean, I think anything that speaks to their interests. I recently had a student in discovering, you know, why she wanted the literature, science, and the arts LSA program at Michigan also discovered that she could take a minor in the school of public health. And it was, I mean, that completely overlapped with what she's been invested in in high school. So it was a great, you know, addition. Um, And it didn't, it didn't take away from the essay. It really only added to it. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good. Any last things to comment about that question? I mean, I actually think it's pretty self explanatory, although a lot of students, you know, kind of get lost with it. Yeah, again, I think it's one of those plans that it's going to take you about three drafts, you know, to get Mm -hmm. to a final. Um, You know, I always say the Common App essay should take about six to eight drafts to get to your final, but Mm -hmm. this essay, you know, at least three, and that's disappointing, I think, for students to hear (laughs) more, but... um, but also, you know, not that I am hoping this will happen to students, but if the 
part, you know, if the prompt is doing what it's supposed to, you will find yourself, you know, find that it maybe is more of a fit or less less of a fit than you mm-hmm. might have thought of, um, you know, when you get into the curriculum a little bit more. I've only mm-hmm. had that, you know, a few times, but I have seen students say, not for Michigan specifically, but for other schools that ask similar questions, that, yeah, actually, I don't really like how they go about the curriculum, uh, you know, or the requirements for the school, and I think I'm not going to apply anymore, so that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's actually a great thing for everybody. That's a great thing for the school because they don't want a student there who's not going to be yeah. happy. It's a great thing for the student who can then focus on another institution. So, yeah. All right, great. Yeah, that is, I think, the ideal. And that is why I think probably Michigan keeps the question, even though I'm sure they read a lot, that are pretty boring in terms of how they're put together. So Definitely. Yeah. Um, All right. So these are some new questions that we're moving on to now. The Ross School of Business has new, what they call their portfolio questions. Um, And it was kind of interesting. I I went on their website to make sure to learn a little bit more about it. And apparently students asked for it as um, they found, because it would provide a flexible way for them to discuss their interest and experience in business, both in and out of the classroom. Um, so I, I do want to refer all the listeners to the University of Michigan webpage. I mean, like we said before, you should be all over that webpage regardless. But, um, you know, the University of Michigan has some great, um, good information explaining on there, explaining the portfolio and why they're doing it. All right. So all that being said, um, the first question is Stephen M. Ross School of, for, for the Stephen M. Ross School of Business, choose a current event or issue in your community and discuss the business implications. Propose a solution that incorporates business principles or practices. The review panel will, will look for creativity, drawing connections, and originality. Please limit this response to approximately 500 words. So again, this is just if you're applying to the preferred admission to the business school, but this is clearly, I think, pretty important to them. So what are your thoughts about this question, Kara? Yeah, and I actually wanted to give a quick shout out to something um, I didn't mention in the last question we're talking about is that you are supposed to include whether you're applying for preferred admission in mm-hmm. that previous response. So, and, and that could take up a good portion of that um, response about which college and program because they, you know, they want to be clear on that. But I think um, I'm, I'm really excited to see, you know, how these, um, preferred program questions are going to come together. I think the review panel is going to have a really interesting time with them um, mm-hmm. because they they do draw on the creativity. I think I, I would guess that they also came, um, you know, generated because they were probably getting some pretty standard applicants having a hard time, you know, taking, not just take, skimming off the top and taking the highest test scores and, you know, highest GPA type students who wanted, who also might have wanted business, that they might have been losing the creativity. You know, it'd be interesting to know if their professors were giving that kind of feedback also, mm-hmm. um, because a lot of areas of business certainly do need to call on creativity and, and vision and leadership and all the, the pieces here. So I, I would, I think when it's a, the right program for a student too, this can be a fun question to respond to. But in, when I first saw them come out, I thought, that's going to take some thinking. You know, mm-hmm. so in looking ahead to assuming they're going to have this, um, these two questions for next year, 
uh, for any student who is considering Michigan and thinks they'd want to apply for preferred business, I'd say you really want to look at these questions now um, to have it in the back of your head, you know, while you're, you know, pursuing your life over this junior year, um, not because it'll shape necessarily what you do for activities, but just to really give it some thought and allow, you know, some time so that you're not rushing to do this because mm-hmm. this is not a one draft essay for sure. Mm-hmm. I would say, too, this is one of those questions where it's really important to read the question carefully. I mean, they specify that they want you to write about a current event or issue in your community. So that's really important. So I think they want something that is going to touch the student in some way, right? Mm -hmm. And that that student is going to know something about. So, So that's important, too. And that's the kind of thing that I've seen students miss in the past. So pay attention to those details. Yes, and I have heard when students come back from the tour at Michigan that the admissions counselors will say, you know, we're sticklers for that. Did you answer the question? And any Mm -hmm. one of these, you know, um, questions, they're looking for basics. Do you follow, you know, directions? We don't want to know why you want to paint yourself blue and gold and go (laughs) to football games, as we were saying before. They really want to have you answer the questions. Exactly. And I was looking at this question and, and, you know, I haven't been on their side reading the question, but I was thinking about, you know, what might work for them. And I, you know, initially I thought, okay, they probably don't want, you know, if it's creative and original, they don't want, how did you, you know, bring up the sales at, you know, the, you know, at the bake sales that you did. Um, But then I thought, well, probably even that would work if somebody did it, like approached a particular problem in a creative way. It probably doesn't matter that it would be on a pretty small scale at their school if it was creative and original and, um, you know, showed someone making connections, like they said. Uh Uh-huh. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, if you get grounded in reality, that's always an interesting, you know, way um, to very genuinely, you know, write about something. So mm-hmm. this is one where I will definitely say that I can see a lot of parents trying to dabble, <laughs> you know, and propose ideas um, and not just propose ideas to students, but, you know, suggest things that may not be appropriate for a 17-year-old to have thought about. Um, mm-hmm. Even though there's a lot of great entrepreneurs, you know, who are 16, 17 years old. Um, but this is one that I can, I would, you know, caution parents to, yes, be part of the brainstorming if that's, you know, something that you enjoy with your child and they're open to that, but to try and, you know, really emphasize that this should be their idea and allow their creati- creativity to shine. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and I'll just mention that, by the way, it's pretty obvious when a 50-year-old businessman is writing an essay or businesswoman <laughs> compared to a 17-year-old. I mean, you know, if you start talking about you're happy to report that your third qu- quarter profits have been excellent and you see an upward trend, you know, it's just like that just screams 50-year-old. So parents, hands off. You can make suggestions, but then you got to let your kid run with it. Totally. Um, and unless you're going to stand at the lemonade stand next time around. Yeah, exactly. All right, let's move on to the next question, which is even more interesting in some ways. Up, So also for the business school uh, portfolio, upload a document or artifact that represents something significant about your life to show your learning in action. Describe how your artifact demonstrates your learning in action. So note that they've mentioned learning in action twice here. Um, So they want this response limited to 250 words. So the first thing is what do they mean by artifact? So I looked that up 
Um, and it could be a high school paper, a personal web page, a newspaper article highlighting an achievement of theirs and more. So you really can kind of start with you know, everybody has some kind of a high school paper. If you can go beyond that, great, but that's what they mean by an artifact, something that tells them something about you. Um, And then I think from there, we need to focus on what learning in action means. So what are your thoughts on that, Kara? Yeah, I mean, I love that question. And I have to say that when it first came out, again, I, I always try to answer these questions first in my own head, you know, that if I were applying to this program, um, what would, you know, represent me, which is, you know, usually quite different from many of the students because I wouldn't be applying to business, <laughs> you know, overall. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it's, it is one, again, that requires a little bit of thinking. And um, I think the key part, as you said, is learning in action so that, um, again, no right or wrong, for this, um, but you might want to look at a couple of options. And with, as with any of the essay topics on a lot of the applications, they encourage you know brainstorming you know two, three, four ideas um, before you go too deeply with that, um, and try and you know look for something that uh, is absolutely genuine to you because it will read as such. You know when you when you try to share that. Um, so it'll be interesting to see, I, I would love to see, <laughs> I'd love to be on that side of the committee to see the variety uh, of options, because I think that's going to really catch some students that struggle with creativity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And really, like, just come back to that word learning in action. Is this going to display yeah. to them the way you learn, you know, mm-hmm. with an event where an occasion where you learned something over time? that maybe tested you a little bit even, I think it could be great here. Yeah, um, I can imagine IB students, you know, would probably have a lot, um, you know, around their extended essay or students who, you know, have maybe done some sort of research or decorate projects, things like that, you know, but it's really limitless. And I know there's a lot of um, visions of what I think could come out there, but... Um, uh, again, I just love to be on the other side and just get to see the options. And it'll be interesting to see how this evolves, you know, and, and uh, if it sticks around next year in the next couple of years. I would assume this question will be around for a couple of years while they test it out. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's move on to the next question um, for the University of Michigan Stamp School of Art and Design. Um, and it's a statement of creative work. And it says, use this space to tell us more about your work and practice as a whole, You may want to discuss how the different pieces in your portfolio relate, um, concepts and issues that inform your creative practice, goals for your future creative work. So again, this is just if you're applying to their School of Art and Design, but this is pretty interesting. A lot of colleges want just want to see a portfolio with them. In addition to the portfolio, they want an essay about it. I love it. Yeah, I think it's a great question, and it's just so nice to be able to allow the student to articulate you know, the why they chose certain pieces or what medium, you know, speaks to them or how they've seen themselves grow. So I think it's just very, you know, it's just they're well-articulated questions, I think, each one of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that the main thing, I mean, I'm not going to say too much more about this because neither you nor I are, are artists. So, um, but what I think is clear here is that how you think about your work, how you think about your work as an artist is also 
important in addition to just the work that you're doing, the quality of the work that you're doing. So I think as you advise with the business portfolio, I'd probably tell students, you know, start thinking about these things now, you Mm -hmm. know? Yeah. So, all right, well, let's transition to the University of Wisconsin. We actually have a little bit of time to talk about it. Um, So I wanted to, sorry. Go Badgers. Yeah, go back. <laughs> there you go. See, I know like no mascots. I know the R- oh. Reed College mascot where I went, and that's the griffin. It's a mythological creature, so it's really, <laughs> really nerdy to start out with. So, um, and I never liked our mascot, so I don't even want to talk about it. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> All right. All right. So just a few things to keep in mind for the Wisconsin essays, by the way. The maximum word count for each essay is 650, but they actually only recommend 300 to 500. So I think that's good to know. And then they say, be genuine and honest in your writing, which I think is great. It completely highlights what you and I have been saying and talking about sincerity. So, Yeah. And, yeah, I always say to students, because I'm in the New York area, that, um, you know, this is the Midwest. Genuine, honest. They actually mean it. (laughs) They're not looking for you, you know, for what are you, you know, again, going back to that point, don't write for what you think they want to hear. Really find something that speaks to you. And I, it's funny, I just read an essay last night from a student who um, wrote about lacrosse, but uh, as sort of the background overarching topic, but it was really about um, the thing unnoticed was really about the commitment and how he's grown and matured. And I thought, fantastic, actually, because sometimes a sports essay can be really basic and tough to... Um, write about, but it has been so important to him, and um, so he found a way to bring it in, and I thought that was great. That is great. All right, so let's let's spec- let's go um, into the first question. Consider something in your life you think goes unnoticed, and write about why it's important to you. So, I mean, just yeah. an example for me. I think this is, you know, you have a lot of options of being creative. A student of mine wrote about her watch, how it keeps her on schedule, but some of the best moments are when she takes it off because then she can really take the time to get immersed in a task. Mm-hmm. It was a wonderful mm-hmm. essay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, yeah, I always say, you know, what <laughs> reminds students of what's the background, you know, agenda here? What are they, um, you know, hoping to learn about their students is, you know, it's really not um, just the answer, ultimately, of, you know, the item such as that watch or, um, you know, just the sort of general maturity the other student I mentioned wrote about, but they, they want to know how you think and they want to see how you think through something or what, what your takeaway is because that implies who you are in the classroom and how you'll contribute to discussions um, or who you are in the dorm, you know, and... Um, how you'll participate, and do I want my own child to potentially be a roommate with you, you know, if you're looking at it through that lens. So sometimes, you know, we would present students and say, they'll make a great roommate, <laughs> you know, and you mm-hmm. get just a sense of they're just good people. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right, so the next two questions are pretty similar to Michigan, and we only have about a minute left, so I want to try and summarize them pretty quickly. Um, so the first one is, tell us why you decided to apply to the University of Wisconsin-Madison. In addition, share with us the academic, extracurricular, or research opportunities you would take advantage of as a student. 
Um, If applicable, provide details of any circumstance that could have had an impact on your academic performance and or extracurricular involvement. So this is pretty similar to Michigan, except that they are telling you that you can write about extracurriculars as well. So that's sort of one thing that I would note. So in this one, you can say go Badgers if you want to, but remember that you have to talk about academics as well. So often students want to just talk about the football team. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, I think the fear in some students is that they're not allowed to, you know, recycle, you know, something from a previous that there should you know, students are dying to, you know, recycle different essays and use it for different schools. But um, each one, when you step back from it, it should sound like, you know, you're in Madison, Wisconsin, you know, looking at their campus and um, their major, if that's what you choose to write about, or their clubs in particular. Um, and know that there are similarities and rivalries, certainly between Michigan and Wisconsin, that it should, you know, be particular to their school. Um, but there's a lot in that question, so I do encourage students you know, to try and keep it simple that it doesn't sound like a checklist. I think I've read a lot of those where at least the first draft or two sound like a, a checklist, you know, of first I would do this and then I would do that and this is what I like. And so they mentioned 10 or 15 things they love about Wisconsin, but in reality, you know, try and maybe a little less is more and try and show, you know, why you think that, not just listing it. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to wrap this up because I need to get to the financial aid segment. Mm-hmm. But the last thing I would say is uh, the last part of the question, which is provide details of any circumstances that could have had an impact on your academic performance. They're saying if applicable. So this is really just for those of you who maybe had mono. And so your grades dropped one semester or something like that. So don't feel like you have to write about that. And then uh, the last essay, briefly explain which activity you entered in the Common App activity section is most important to you, really follow the guidelines that you used um, that you used for the University of Michigan's question. They're really very, very similar. So, mm-hmm. all right. Well, thank you so much, Kara. And when we return, I will be speaking with Kathy Ruby about the danger of missing financial aid deadlines. So stay tuned. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. 
You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. Kathy Ruby is now with us. She's joining us to discuss the dangers of missing finance, financial aid deadlines. So welcome, Kathy. All right. So we're talking about financial aid deadlines here. So what deadlines are we worried about? Um, So I think it's helpful when you think about deadlines, first step back and think about there are different sources of financial aid, right? So there are federal sources and then the state governments provide financial aid. The colleges, so the institutions themselves, provide financial aid. And then there are private sources of aid, you know, all the different organizations that are out there um, giving money. And just to set the private ones aside, you know, there's lots of different private organizations. Those deadlines are just going to vary. you got to be researching, you know, all through high school and through your junior year to be careful not to miss those kinds of deadlines and into your senior year. Um, but federal guidelines, um, federal grants and loans, they actually have the latest deadlines of all. So you can actually apply for federal aid in the year in which you're enrolled, like while you're actually at school. Now, if you're doing that, it means you've had to pay your bill in some other way, but you can actually apply during the school year and still get federal aid. But most people, in terms of federal aid, most middle-income families, what they get from the federal government government are student loans. You know, federal grants go to very low-income families. Um, So I think the most important deadlines to really pay attention to are deadlines for your state, so for various state grants and scholarships, and then for the institutions themselves. Those are the most important ones at all. Um, And those generally fall sometime, you know, some period of time before school starts, often several months before school actually starts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have some families who say, well, I can get all this admission stuff wrapped up and then worry about financial aid, right? And I go, no. Absolutely no. not. That is a terrible idea. You need to do both. Let your child take the lead with uh, the admissions and you can take the lead with the finance. So Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think that is confusing for families because they wonder, you know, why am I applying for aid at this school before I even know if my student is accepted? But that's just the nature of how the process has to work or else the financial aid office wouldn't have time to award people. Um, Mm -hmm. So they need you to fill out those forms even before, you know, according to their deadlines, even before you know if your child's been accepted. Mm -hmm. Exactly. All right. So how do you find out about the deadlines for funds in your state and at the different uh, institutions or the different colleges? Okay. Well, for the state, um, you've got to find the higher education agency in your state and figure out what funds are available and how you apply. Um, So a great resource for this is the National Association of Student Financial Aid Administrators. So NASFA, N-A-S-F-A-A dot org. Um, So that's, you know, the Professional Association of Financial Aid Administrators. And if you go to their website, there's a section that says students, parents, and counselors. And then if you click on that, there's a section that says financial aid in your state. And it'll bring up a map. So you just click on your state and it'll bring you right to the higher education agency in your state and a description of whatever programs are available. So for the state, that's, that's a way to go. Um, 
for the institutions, you've just got to research each college. And I know we say this over and over again, have a spreadsheet, list all the deadlines. Um, and you want to make sure that you're looking at, of course, need-based financial aid deadlines. So when do you have to fill out the FAFSA and the profile form if necessary? Um, but you also want to be looking for um, scholarship deadlines as well. So some colleges have merit-based scholarships where they might have a special admission deadline or a priority admission deadline, um, or there might be separate applications and separate deadlines. So you want to be looking for both scholarships and need-based financial aid. Um, and that can sometimes even vary by admission cycle. So there's one deadline for students applying early action and another one for students applying regular uh, and a different one for early decision. So it can it can vary within a college as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Uh, and then one other piece of that is don't forget the follow-up deadlines. So, so there's always an initial deadline for when you have to do the FAFSA or possibly the profile. Um, but then there are colleges, and they tend to be the more selective private ones, who will also want you to submit tax returns and other kinds of follow-up documents. And so make sure you're paying attention to whatever those deadlines are too because they'll want your file to be complete just like the admissions office does um, before they review you for financial aid. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So people often say to beat deadlines to get ahead of them. But then other times I see the colleges publish a priority deadline. So should I beat that too or is meeting that, does that work to meet the priority deadline? Yeah, I mean, it really it depends on the colleges. Um, private colleges, many private colleges have priority deadlines where they say, you know, as long as you apply by this date, you will be fully considered for aid. And that tends to happen at places that have institutional money where um, they're trying to look at everybody all at once. Um, but then some public universities and especially states, we see a lot of language that says, you know, file your application as soon after January 1st as possible to maximize your chance of funds. Now, I'm saying January 1st because that's when the FAFSA used to become available. And so, of course, now the FAFSA is available October 1st. Um, now, we haven't seen a lot of change in language as we're looking at different state higher education agencies, but we still advise people there's just no reason not to go ahead and get the FAFSA and if the school requires it, the CSS profile done um, soon after October 1st so that you're in line. Okay, so we only have one minute left, but what okay. happens What happens just quickly if someone misses a deadline? Okay, if you miss a deadline, um, it certainly depends on the college. I checked with my colleagues. Everybody had different policies about what they did to people who missed deadlines. Sometimes it was that you got only a percentage of what you would have gotten. Sometimes you couldn't get anything at all. Um, in the extreme version, if you miss a deadline in the first year, you can't be considered for the next four years, and that's, that's a little extreme. Um, so certainly if you miss a deadline, you can try appealing if your package was affected. Um, so you can try appealing. You want to make sure those circumstances are extenuating, that it was something, it wasn't just that I forgot, it's that something happened that caused you to miss the deadline. Um, but certainly you should try to go back. Um, also remember the college is going to communicate with the student about these deadlines. So it's really on the student to be paying attention to their email and communicating with you about what's needed from the financial aid office. Mm-hmm. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And these deadlines are important. I'll just summarize this. They're they're important once you're a once you're a current student too. 
Yes, so, in uh, fact, almost yes. even more important. And the yeah. college will be communicating even more with the students. So students have got to pay attention to what they're receiving from whatever office it might be at the college. Mm-hmm. All right. Listen, Kathy, thank you so much. You're welcome. Okay, and thanks, Kara, also for being on my show today. I wanted to mention that we'll have a blog post out regarding the University of Wisconsin supplemental questions this December. Um, We might be doing one on University of Michigan as well, but basically just check out our blog posts um, because there's going to be a lot of good information on how to fill out school-specific questions coming up. Um, I want to tell you about our show next week. Beth Heaton will be back and spending the entire show answering listeners' questions on admissions and paying for college topics. So tune in to get some tips just three days before the November 1 early deadline. And finally, I want to remind you that you don't have to listen to our shows live. Every show is accessible 24-7 on the Voice America website, and you can also download every show for free on iTunes. For example, um, you can get another show of, or another show that discusses SAT or ACT test score submission on November 5th, 2015, just by doing a search for submitting SAT or ACT scores. If you're just beginning your college search and application process, you can go back and listen to the Schools in series beginning on June 30th of this year. Um, And I just want to let you know that probably the easiest way to follow us is through social media. Just for starters, we have a Facebook page. We've also got a LinkedIn, et cetera, et cetera. And last, if you like our show, be sure to rate us on iTunes. It takes only a moment of your time, and it's absolutely free. And don't forget, we're here every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. Check us out. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.